Good to see all of you. Uh, glad to have uh, most of my kids, children. My mom, mom used to get on me for calling people kids, so that's baby goats. But we all, maybe there's some similarity there. I don't know. We won't get into that. But at any rate, the Bible says, and that song just, just mentioned this, Psalms 118, verse 24, This is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. How'd you get up this morning? Smile on your face or kind of a grumpy look on your face? How do you feel this morning? Did you feel in a way that maybe you need to change the way you feel? You can do that, you know. That's doable. You know, God created this old earth here. Genesis 45, verse 18, the Bible says He created it to be inhabited. So God intended from the very first that this earth that we live on needed something to inhabit it. And God, of course, made man for this purpose. The Bible says in Genesis 2 and verse 7, God formed, God formed man from the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And this is the first man that we read of on the face of the earth. And not only read about it, he was the first man on the face of the earth. The Bible says, Genesis 2, verse 18, it's not good for man to live alone. I'll make and help meet for him. And, of course, anyone who's been married very long realizes and understands the value of a wife. Uh, and if you don't now, as you grow older, we'll all understand more how wonderful a wife is. The Bible says in Genesis 3 and verse 20 that she was called, she was named Eve by Adam. She was named Eve because she was the mother of all living. A guy one time said, well, where do, where do all other people come from to marry Adam and Eve's children, all that kind of stuff? Well, God didn't send any, any additional people and stuff down like that. I've heard people say that. Well, God just, uh, he just sent men and women down there to help with that, all that business. No, Eve was the mother of all living. So we all come from Eve, don't we? God said in, uh, Genesis 2 verse 18 or verse uh, 17 through 24 that God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. Now, I don't know what a deep sleep is unless that's completely conked out. I, perhaps that's what that means. But he caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. And then he says uh, he opened up his side, took a rib out of his side, closed up the place where he took, closed up the flesh where he took the rib out. From the rib he made a woman and presented her unto the man. The Bible says, For this cause shall man leave his father and mother and be joined unto his wife. And so here we have husbands and wives and the joys that there are in marriage and children that, that come along with that. Genesis 1 verse 28, here God told Adam and Eve, Be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth. Now stop and think about it for a minute. You got this big earth like it is. It hasn't shrunk any. It hasn't expanded any. It's just the same earth that's been here all this time. And just two people on it. And they were told to dress and keep the garden. Incidentally, God, incidentally, God gave Adam and Eve work to do before they ever left the garden. Told them dress and keep the garden. 
Well, if you go looking for the Garden of Eden, you'll never find it. Because nobody's been dressed and keeping it and went back to its wild natural state just like it was, you know. But Adam and Eve were here upon this earth. And God told them to be fruitful and replenish the earth. Fill this, fill this earth up with people. Now, I guess if there's any command that, that people upon this earth have per, uh, obeyed pretty well, it's that. <laughs> replenish the earth and fill it with people and all. And so he did that, that wonderful thing, didn't he? Isn't it wonderful? You and I wouldn't even exist if God had, hadn't decided for us to exist. We ought to enjoy every moment that we have that comes along. You know, sometimes we're kind of careless about the way we feel and about life and all. I've got a little poem I want to read you. This poem is written by Robert H. Smith, 1932. Uh, he wrote the last verse and a chorus. And then he had some help on a couple of other verses. To lose one's wealth is sad indeed. To lose one's health is more. To lose one's soul is such a loss that no man can restore. The present only is our own, so we live with determined will. Place no faith in tomorrow, the clock may then be still. The clock is of life is wound but once, and no man has the power to tell just when the hands will stop at late or early hour. Some clocks are wound real tight, run at too fast a pace. They burn the candle at both ends and finish not the race. But some run their clocks too slow and waste precious time and have not much to show when once the clock unwinds. Some clocks have an alarm when bad health sets in, warns you that time's running out and you see the coming in. But some clocks have no alarm. They quit when you know not. Prepare your soul for the place where clocks will never stop. To lose one's health is sad indeed. To lose one's wealth is, is more. To lose one's soul is such a loss that no man can restore. The present only is our own. So live with determined will. Place no faith in tomorrow. The clock may st uh, then be still. The clock of life is wound but once. No man has the power to tell just when the hands will stop at later early hour. And that's where our, our, our life is. You know, I keep thinking off and on about this poem, about this illustration. We've got a generation of people who don't know what it means to wind a clock. <laughs> this electronic generation is all different. We may have to get a different illustration. But you know, used to you had to wind the clocks. And they had a spring in them. When that thing wound down, well, the hands would stop. Life is that way. You ought to enjoy every bit of life that you have on the face of this earth. God intended you to do that. The Bible says he richly gave us all things to enjoy in First Timothy chapter 6, about verse 16 or 17. God has richly given us all things to enjoy. You enjoy fishing, that's fine. You enjoy watching a football game, that's fine. You enjoy doing a lot of different things, that's fine. As long as you don't let those things get between you and the Lord and you and the church and the church and its work. We have to keep that thing under control. As First uh, Corinthians chapter 7 says, I've got the verse here somewhere. But at any rate, First Corinthians chapter 7, uh, slipped my mind what I was going to say about that. You all ever have that deal come along? 
Well, I'll tell you, I had a heat stroke last summer, and it's, it has come along. Certainly different and all. But at any rate, you and I should enjoy every day the fact that we're alive and got life. God has given us air to breathe and water to drink and food to eat. It takes a little bit of work to supply some of those things. But God's made it possible that we could enjoy all this. So are you happy every day? If not, well, turn the happiness on. You can do that. You ladies fix up before you leave the house. All like that, you know, all your paint and all this kind of stuff. Fix your hair and all that kind of stuff. Need to fix your attitude too. But when you wake up in the morning before you leave the house, you're going out to meet the world. Let the world know what a Christian is like. Ah, it came to me. First Corinthians chapter 7. Uh, here he talks about. Did y'all, y'all catch that thought? If y'all catch that thought, let me know again. He says, as using this world and not abusing. That's what he says there. This world is here for our use and our enjoyment. As long as you don't abuse it and mistreat it. Do you enjoy every day that comes along? Like I said, God made us, uh, God, God gave us life and he created us in his own image. Now, John 4 and verse 24, God is a spirit. So God doesn't have a physical being. He, could appear in a physical being if he wanted to. As a matter of fact, uh, he came to this earth through his son and suffered the, suffered the things that this world has, you know, the bad things that are in this world. So God gave us this earth to inhabit. He gave us dominion over all the earth, Genesis 1, 28. Hebrews 2, verse 7, 8, he put us over all the works of his hands. God put all things in subjection to us. God has given us richly all things to enjoy. Isn't that wonderful? Just think about it. Bible says I'm fearfully and wonderfully made in the book of Psalms. Well, stop and think about that. Do you know what you can do as a physical person? Now, animals can do a certain few things and things like that. Well, we got lights in here. So we all can see and see at night. Where'd they come from? God gave man the ability to have dominion over the earth. Man has learned to use electricity. He doesn't know what it is yet, but he's learned to use electricity. He's learned to pick, uh, to dig metals, uh, uh, metal ore out of the earth and form the little brackets and all that are on there, you know, that, that hold your light and everything. Air conditioners and all. God gave us this earth and everything here to enjoy. And he created us in such a way that we can enjoy those things. And he's given us a spirit of his own spirit. Man has a body. He has a soul. He has a spirit. First Thessalonians 5 and about verse 23. And it's, it's wonderful, isn't it? Just, just wonderful. How are we made in the image of God? Well, God's a spirit. So I guess he's talking about our spirit. Every individual that's here has a touch of divinity, a touch of God's Spirit within you. So enjoy that. Appreciate that. Enjoy your children. Enjoy your wife and your husband and your grandchildren. We don't want to leave them out. The Lord certainly knew what he's doing when he made grandchildren, didn't he? Yeah, and and then I even have three great-grandchildren as long as that's concerned. Well, it's a wonderful life that we've got here. Solomon set out to search and seek 
everything that's good for man to do in this life. The book of Ecclesiastes, the first ten chapters deal with what's good for man to do under the sun, on the earth, under heaven, in a physical way. Last two chapters bring in the spiritual side of man. And he said, here the conclusion, the whole matter, fear God and keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. Well, you know what? A lot of y'all have smiles on your faces right now you didn't have when you sat down. Just thinking about life and the wonderful things of life. But that's not what this verse is talking about. This is the day the Lord hath made. We'll rejoice and be glad in it. But he's not talking about what we've been talking about. You know, every week has a special day in it. Jesus rose from the grave on the first day of the week. The disciples met together to break bread upon the first day of the week in uh, Acts 20 and verse 7. And so it was that mankind, or Christians that is, we, we gather on the first day of the week, don't we? It's a special day. It's not like every day. You know, a young fellow that goes, attends the congregation with us, Aaron Lindsay, he said when he was growing up, his dad and his mom didn't do anything except eat breakfast and prepare for the services of the day. That was all that was on their mind. They didn't do other little chores and this and that. There's nothing wrong with doing other little chores and things like that, you know. But uh, they didn't because it was a very, very special day to them. The Bible says we shouldn't forsake the assembling of ourselves together in uh, Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25. So the disciples met together to break bread upon the first day of the week. Paul preached unto them until midnight. And when they assembled, well, uh, they had communion and teaching, as we notice in this verse here. First Corinthians 14, talking about the assembly of the church, says, I will sing with the Spirit, sing with understanding also. I'll pray with the Spirit and pray with understanding also. So when we assemble, we have teaching, we have communion, we have singing, we have prayer. And 1 Corinthians 16 points out upon the first day of the week, they made their contribution so that there wouldn't need to be a collection of that later on. And that's the way we practice like we do in the church. We have singing, we have communion, we have teaching, we have prayer, and then we also make our contribution. Um, you know, David said, I was glad when they said, let us go into the house of the Lord. Psalms 122 and verse 1. Now, I know David was talking about the old Jewish temple and all, but still the idea of us assembling with other God-fearing people to worship God. David said, I was glad when they said that. David looked forward to their worship that they used under that old Jewish system in the Old Testament. He enjoyed that. That was a thrill to him. Should be a thrill to every one of us. It's Sunday morning. It's first day of the week. We're going to assemble, and we're going to worship God. So like I said, there is a special day that occurs each week. And, uh, of course, all of you understand the importance of assembling. But that's not what this verse is talking about. That is not what this verse is talking about. Well, let's turn to Mark chapter 12. And I appreciate my grandson Jacob reading that. 
Okay. Chapter 12. And he began to speak unto them by parables. What's a parable? Composed of two words, the para and the bull. Para is like our word parallel. Something that's parallel to something else. And the bull, and the bull there means ballistic. Something that is thrown. So a parable is a story that's thrown, that's told or story that's taught. And it has another purpose in mind. It's thrown up along the side of the spiritual things that Jesus wanted, wanted them to get and to understand. Parable of the seed and the sower. Sower went out to sow. Some of the seed fell on good ground. Some fell on stony ground. Some fell on a, on a ground that had a lot of thorns and thistles and all. Some fell on good ground. That's nice, isn't it? Jesus teaching them how to farm. You reckon, you reckon that's for one reason that Jesus is on the earth to teach people how to farm? He wasn't teaching them how to farm. They knew how to farm. There's just very simple ideas about farming that's in this parable. But he has another point in mind. The seed is the word. And the ground was like different hearts that it was planted in. So here you have the story, or here you have the, the, what Jesus says about farming, but he has something else in mind of a spiritual nature. So what he has in mind is thrown up alongside what he, what he was talking about. So this is a parable here. And in this parable, Jesus is going to teach him some things, and he's not telling them how to, how to, how to build a vineyard and raise grapes. But that's what it sounds like. A certain man planted a vineyard. He set an hedge about it, digged a place for the wine fat, and built a tower, and let it out. That means rented it. He rented it out to husbandmen and went into a far country. In other words, he prepared this vineyard, and everything just, just like it needed to be for a vineyard. And then he leased or rented it out to some people to take care of it for him. And he was going to get his share out of it. And uh, and again, he's not trying to teach his people how to raise grapes. They know how to do that. That was a common, that was a, uh, a common, common thing in those days. Mine's slipping a little on me, but 82 years might have something to do with that. That doesn't have as much to do with that heat stroke I had about seven months ago. That threw me for a loop. All right, he's talking here about a certain man planted a vineyard and he set a hedge about it, built a tower and laid it out to husbandmen and went into a far country. And at the season, that means when the grapes were ripe, and at the season he sent to the husbandman a servant that he might receive from the husbandman of the fruit of the vineyard. Okay, he wasn't just trying to give these husbandmen a job. He might have had that in mind too. But he wanted them to take care of that vineyard and raise the grapes and prepare them. And he would send send a servant and pick up his share. Here's part of it. Well, he sent his servant. They caught him. That means the husbandman. They caught him. And they beat him and they sent him away empty. Wouldn't it be terrible? You got any rental property? You send someone to take care of something and they treat them this way? We, we'd, we'd have them out of our rent houses right quick. I guarantee you that, you know. 
Well, he was in a far country. Again, he sent unto them another servant, and at him they cast stones and wounded him in the head and sent him away shamefully. These are bad, bad guys. Again, he sent another, and him they killed, and many others, beating some and killing some. Having yet therefore one son, his well-beloved, he sent him also last unto them, saying, They will reverence my son. Surely they'll respect him. But those husbandmen said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance shall be ours. And they took him and killed him, cast him out of the vineyard. What therefore shall the Lord of that vineyard do? He will come and destroy the husbandman and will give the vineyard to others. Have you not read this scripture? The stone which the builders rejected has become the head of the corner. Right now that him, he's told them this parable here. And the parable is about, about God preparing everything for mankind and especially for his chosen people, the Jews, in those times. And he expected them all to take care of things and all. And he didn't get his his results from the crops and all. And so, But God, God sent many prophets unto them to teach them. Some of them they stoned. Some of them they abused in various different ways. Some of them they even killed. And, of course, he's talking about the Jewish people that should have produced for, for, for the Lord. But they're more interested in themselves than they were in producing anything for this man that owned this vineyard here. And last of all, sent his own son, and you and I understand what that's talking about. Last of all, he sent his son, and they wouldn't hear him. John one eleven, he came to his own, his own received him not. And so here he came and you know what they did with him, don't you? They hung him on that old cross, crucified him, thought they'd destroy this movement that he had started. They misguessed that, didn't they? <laughs> they certainly did. Well, I noticed down here, we covered this on a Wednesday night in, uh, in Lindsay one Wednesday night about two or three years ago. Brother Dale Jones was preaching. And I noticed that this is the stone which the builders rejected to become the head of the corner. This was the Lord's doing, and it's marvelous in our eyes. I thought, well, I'll just glance over there where it said, talks about the stone being rejected to become the head of the corner. Well, I did. We're going to turn over there right now ourselves. Guess where, where we're going? We're going to Psalms 118. Verse 22, the stone which the builders refused has become the headstone of the corner. Well, there's a prophecy of the very thing he referred to there. Listen to this. The stone which the builders refused has become the headstone of the corner. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. The day that this is talking about is not every day. We should enjoy every day. 
It's not talking about the first day of the week where we assemble to worship God, even though, even though we should do that. This is the day the Lord hath made. It's talking about the day Jesus Christ died upon the cross. That's the day He's talking about. I didn't understand that verse for years. The reason I hadn't understood it and I hadn't put those two verses together. A lot of people misunderstand that verse because they don't study like they should. And I've been preaching over 50 years. And it wasn't but about a couple of years ago that I caught that. And it's not deep. It's not hard to understand. It's easy to understand. At the time when Jesus Christ was nailed to the cross, that's the day the Lord had made. The time that the son of the owner of the vineyard at the time he was killed, that's the day the Lord hath made. He was cast out of the vineyard. They rejected him from being the head corner of the church. That's the day the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. You ought to think about that every day. You ought to think about that every day. Oh, you ought to think about enjoying this life all right, but that's not what this verse is talking about. You ought to enjoy attending church assemblies. That's not what this verse is talking about. It's talking about the day that Jesus Christ was nailed to the cross, suffered on that cross, died upon that cross, yelled out in pain two or three different times when he was upon that cross, and finally died upon that cross. Now, the Bible said that, that Jesus really didn't want to do that. Before he was crucified... He went out into the garden, uh, out in the uh, Garden of Gethsemane, I guess where it was, and there he talked to us, prayed to God. He left Peter and James and John a little far off, and he prayed to God, If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. As a physical human being, Jesus did not want to suffer the things he suffered on that cross. But in Hebrews chapter 12, about verse 1, 2, and 3 there, he said, Jesus endured that out of joy, out of joy of the things that were going to come about because of it. He endured it. He, uh, he loved that day. He came for that day. And even though it was a terrible, terrible thing that he suffered there on that cross, you know, for our sake, still it was a wonderful thing, hasn't it? How many of you ever shed tears over the death of Christ reading and studying about that? Well, I guess we all have to a certain extent once in a while. Probably not as much as we should. But on the other hand, we're joyful about that. Jesus, because of the joy that was set before him, endured the cross and the pain and all that went along with it. Another little poem I want to read you. When I think of the cross, I wonder what a strange thing happened that day. The blood that stained the wooden cross took my sin stains away. They hung him up upon a wooden cross. Through his hands they drove those nails. He suffered such tormenting pain so I could miss the torments of hell. The bright sun quit its shining darkness when the deed was done. But it made the world so much brighter, light from God's dying sun. An earthquake shook on the region, made everyone quake with fear, but brought stability for my uncertainties, brought peace and calmness near. 
When I think of that terrible, glorious cross, what a strange paradox. Tears I shed for his agony, yet joy for what it did for me. They wrote, wove a crown of piercing thorns. They forced that crown on his head so we could wear a crown of righteousness when we rise from the dead. He died with transgressors. He was numbered with the thieves so we could be numbered with the saints throughout all eternity. He suffered bad to bring about good. That just doesn't seem right. But this is the Lord's doing, and it's marvelous in our sight. When I think of the cross, I wonder what a strange thing happened that day. Why was it such a wonderful thing? Because when God created mankind and placed him on this earth, God knew what was in man. Bible said he didn't need anyone to testify man for he knew what was in man. What? Free creature? You can attend church service or not. You can work in honest business or dishonest business. You can do whatever you want to do. Why? Because you're free. You and I are free. God turned. That's the kind of a creature God made. God wanted to make a creature that had a free will and out of his own free will would choose to worship God. That's what God had in mind. But what happened? Oops. Someone, someone stumbled, didn't he? Adam started it all. Adam, uh, you know, back in the Garden of Eden, God told him not to eat of the fruit of that tree and he ate of the fruit of that tree. And he introduced sin into the world. Now the Bible says all of sin comes short of the glory of God, Romans 3 and verse 23. So you and I know that, that we're all sinners. We've all done things in our life we shouldn't have done. Do you think God was blindsided? you think God was shocked? you think God thought never thought that man would do anything like that? No, he knew what was in man. And he knew exactly what would happen as life went on. The man would disobey him and get involved in all kinds of things he shouldn't get involved in. But he made him a free creature. But it didn't leave him hopeless. Talking to a guy one time, he's kind of an atheist. He said, why would God create man where he could sin and send him to hell then for that? Well, like I said, he wanted to make you and I free creatures where we could make our own free choices, hoping that you and I would choose to do what's right and to follow him. But, like I said, all of sin comes short of the glory of God. Galatians 3 and verse, uh, what is verse 26, the wages of sin is death. That's the bad thing about everybody. You know, everybody gets a cold once in a while. And you don't like to have a cold. That's not a happy thing to hear about. But you got cancer. That's a different deal now. That's a different deal. When we're talking about all men sinning, we're talking about death facing all mankind, eternal separation from God and destruction. But God had another plan. And this plan was formed before the earth was formed. He was like a lamb slain before the foundation of the earth, is what the book of Revelation says. God all the time, knowing man having his shortcomings that he would have because he made him a creature of free choice, God knowing all this, planned before the earth was formed to send his son into this world to die for my sins and for your sins. 
so that you and I, even though we have sinned in the past, those sins can be forgiven. And every wrong thing you and I have ever done can be blotted out. Why? Because this is the day the Lord hath made. We rejoice and be glad in it. The day Jesus Christ died upon the cross, He said it is finished. He fulfilled the plan of God. And you and I, even though we have death facing us, you and I, on the other hand, have a Savior we can turn to that's paid for my sins and paid for your sins. This is the Lord's doing, and it's marvelous in our sight. God's plan was for you to accept His Son and His Son's death, to believe in it, to repent of your sins, confess your, uh, confess your belief in Christ, and to be baptized into Christ then for the remission of your sins. That's the plan that God had in mind, and it took the death of His Son to do it. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. You have an invitation song that's been uh, announced already. And if you need to baptize, be baptized into Christ this morning, we'd certainly like to encourage you to do that. You need to do it sometime, don't you? Today is the best time you'll ever find to do that. Oh, yesterday would have been a better day, but that's, that's gone. Yesterday is. But you can do something about that now. If you desire the prayers of the church also, we invite you to come. We'll stand and sing the invitation song.